This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. So a bunch of corporate stories we're following today. And, of course, Apple was a big story we were following uh, after the closing bell yesterday. Stock is down about 9.3%, hovering near its lows of the session. Uh, This, after it talks about uh, reducing revenues, and it hasn't done that uh, in about two decades. I want to get into it with uh, Gene Munster. He is a veteran analyst. He, about a week ago, talked with us about how Apple will be the FANG stock to watch this year. He's managing partner, co-founder at Loop Ventures. Joining us on the phone from Minneapolis, Gene, we really appreciate you uh, finding some time again for us uh, today. I was emailing with you last night, and you said, I'm still positive long-term on Apple. Has anything changed in your view as a result of Apple and Tim Cook's announcement uh, late yesterday? You know, Carol, before we get into that, I just want to uh, echo my disappointment, not just for Apple, but for Gene Munster, too, is that I was uh, in your studio a week ago. Uh, like you said, I was constructive on this name. And I have a prediction that Apple is going to be the best performing FANG stock in 2019. Uh, this is not how I wanted uh, that prediction to start out on the third day of the year, uh, down 10%. Uh, that said, is that as we had uh, corresponded before, is that I still am optimistic about this story. Um, in part because uh, I think there's a bigger story that is largely being missed here. It's a gap between perception and reality. Uh, the perception is, is that Apple is having a difficulty. They're missing their numbers. The reality is the company is doing exceptionally well and has an, uh, record profits. And I think that they can parlay those profits into uh, really three or four things that can move the stock higher this year. I can run through those, but we're still positive because surprisingly, despite the difficulties, they're still generating a record amount of cash. Well, and and Gene, it sounds like, and I'm guessing one of those predictions is that a lot of the profits are going to have to come from someplace other than iPhones, right? That's right. It's, it's uh, iPhones are going to be having this headwind for this year. Obviously, that the pricing impact has had a negative impact, not only in China, but kind of across the board. But yes, the other products, whether it's uh, the watch or the Mac, are going to be one of the big drivers this year. Is it going to be something that, I mean, you know this better than anybody, is the iPhone has been so important to the top and bottom lines uh, at Apple. And, you know, some say it's really a one-product company. Uh, I don't know if that's a fair assessment, but is there a new product that can come in to kind of take that place? Unlikely. I think it's in the near term unlikely. But I think over the next year, still wearables, big piece. I'm, I'm curious, Carol, do you, uh, do you have an Apple Watch? I do, and I, I have to say I love it. And my husband just yes. bought one recently, a few months ago. And the Apple Watch now is greater than the iPod. Uh, the Apple Watch revenues now surpass what the iPod was at its peak. So it's categories like that that I think can really uh, drive the story this year. Beyond that, we get into the car, for example. That's an opportunity. Also wearables uh, with glasses. They made three acquisitions in the past year. And lastly is um, around video content. It's another opportunity. I want to ask you, though, Gene, 
Was it disappointing that maybe Tim Cook didn't give us a heads up, though, a little bit earlier? I feel like this is a company that is very in tune with its supply chain and understands its businesses really well, that that they didn't come out sooner, especially when you had uh, a lot of its suppliers in November, early November, November, December, kind of warning that there was a slow, they were seeing slowing iPhone demand. Is it disappointing that Tim Cook didn't give everybody a heads up sooner? Uh, it's it's always disappointing because we had seen some of that from the supply chain, as you talked about, Carol. But I think uh, there's no easy way for Apple to really uh, wade through this. For example, they really need to gather all the information for the entire quarter and then give their uh, prognosis. And that's what we got right after the quarter ended. So I don't fault uh, Tim Cook for uh, that, uh, for the timing on this. What I do uh, think is that when he talked about some of the challenges, he really emphasized on the China piece. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was uh, maybe two-thirds of the challenge here. I think one-third of the challenge was related to the pricing of the iPhone. I think that they were just too aggressive in terms of how they've raised uh, the price up 23%. I think that is a piece that uh, he could have done a better job in kind of explaining this myth uh, in, in giving some attribution to that aspect. And so, Gene, as you look across the ecosystem, again, as Carol mentioned, you know, you understand this company backwards and forwards, inside and out. What do you see as the the biggest dangers out there for the companies around Apple from a supply perspective? And, and another way of asking this may be, how far does this contagion spread and for how long? So it, it's going to probably spread for the next few quarters. What you're going to see is, like, for example, today, analysts have cut their numbers on Apple for, call it, 5%. So I think the supply chain is going to have a similar type of a cut. The other risk to investing in the supply chain is that Apple can switch uh, suppliers, and obviously you can be in with Apple and then be uh, quickly out. So I think that the impact on this is going to be far-reaching uh, for the, like, the iPhone supply chain much more risky to invest in those type of companies than to invest in Apple. And I just want to um, put a finer point on on how the supply chain, yes, is going to be negatively impacted, but Apple can kind of shift their focus away from uh, the supply chain in the back half of this year and invest in some other aspects that uh, we're currently uh, aren't on the uh, very front and center for people. We can talk more about that. But uh, I think the supply chain impact is going to go for several quarters. I do want to ask you too, Gene, just going back to China for a moment. I was just looking um, on the Bloomberg. Greater China, about $52 billion in revenue for 2018. That compares with about 112 for the Americas. But this has been a market that we have co- consistently said is really important to Apple. With the rise of comparable competitors in the world's biggest market, does Apple need to rethink its China strategy? Uh, I think that they they do. Um, I think, you know, the near term, this year is going to be a difficult year for China. Uh, it's about 20% of revenue. It's probably going to dip to 13% in the first few quarters here. And specifically, what I think that Apple needs to do is be more aggressive uh, with the pricing on their new phones. What they're seeing is the base of total base of iPhones is expanding, but in China in particular, there's more cheaper competitors. So that may be a new uh, model that they could announce in China to that could kind of hit more of the sweet spot of what Chinese consumers are, are paying for. So there's different options there. That, to me, is the biggest opportunity they have within China. Are you, would you recommend people buy shares of Apple? Which, And let's not point out, they've got a lot of cash, so they could actually do more and more buybacks, which would certainly juice their 
EPS numbers, right? So, you know, there is some way of kind of putting a floor under the declines in the share price. But having said that, would you recommend investors be buying? Because a lot of folks on Wall Street, as you know, Gene, today are saying, uh, you know, are running away from Apple. They are. The, the simple answer, Carol, is yes, we would be. And the, the reason is is this, is that despite the headwinds, they're still having record uh, amount of profitability. They're going to plow that into whether it's new products like we talked about, uh, wearables or uh, something in the auto. They could potentially do some big M&A. They could more aggressively buy back shares. And, and I am, um, in, I am um, assured uh, by the comment that Tim Cook said yesterday where he's focusing on things that they can control. And those are things that they can control. And so I understand that the psychology and the sentiment around the stock is very negative today. Mm-hmm. But I expect that as Tim Cook can invest the dollars that they're making into those four areas that we talked about, I think you're going to see the psychology shift. Mark my words, is that Apple is not done. This is not the beginning of the end of Apple. Right. Uh, that this this will in tune uh, the pendulum will swing back in Apple's favor. We're speaking with Gene Munster, co-founder at Loop Ventures, on why he continues to like Apple even amidst all the turmoil that we've seen. We are awaiting comments in Washington from newly elected Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Kevin McCarthy, the former House Majority Leader, at the podium right now. We'll take you to Washington when Speaker Pelosi takes the dais. So, Gene, just coming back to where we go from here as you look down just a a couple weeks from now we're going to start to hear more and more uh, corporate earnings as you think about the companies that will let you know how big and deep this tech problem is who are you especially interested in hearing from well the the fang and tesla are the are the ones we're most interested jason and i want to go back to that prediction that i made a week ago and continue to stand by that that Apple is going to be the best performer of the FANG stocks in 2019. And I think what we're going to see over the next few weeks uh, is not only some headwinds like to Facebook, for example, and their daily active users. I think, um, you know, I recommend uh, that people check out a website, uh, goodphone.co, goodphone.co. That's a website that Loop Ventures has put together around this movement around tech addiction. And I think that Facebook is going to be uh, impacted, negatively impacted by that this year. So we're keenly watching how the uh, the daily active numbers play out for Facebook in the December quarter. And then more broadly, Congress is back in session today. More broadly, the impact of legislation. We think we're going to see more of that that could impact negatively impact Facebook or Google. So we're paying close attention to that. And then as a side, we still believe that Tesla could kind of step into this FANG category. Mm. And it had um, somewhat of a disappointing start yesterday. They fractionally missed their production numbers. But I think that this company is still well positioned to ride what is the biggest wave in technology and innovation, and that's around the future of electrification, autonomy, uh, renewable energy. Well, and it's interesting, CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, getting underway next week. We have a story in the magazine this week that just talks about uh, the square footage just devoted to self-driving cars. It's pretty remarkable. The CEO of Waymo is giving uh, a keynote there. But the point of the story was, whoa, you know, put on the brakes a little bit, everybody. It's not going to happen as soon as everybody's uh, expected. There are still some really tricky things, just like even merging into traffic that self-driving cars have to think about and figure out. Yeah, and there's some kind of merging in traffic as part of that, just the pace, the, the speed that these self-driving cars 
there's actually rider anxiety because the cars travel a little bit slower and real drivers drive past them and um, you can they, they're frustrated which so there's all these little pieces that we're trying to figure out the simple answer is this is that this transition to autonomy is going to take longer than we think and most people think it's probably five years away but be more impactful than what we think it's going to uh, fundamentally there will be no cars in 25 years that are, are driven by a human it'll be illegal to drive right. in 25 years just wow. wild um, but but I, I do believe that uh, there that the, the stocks will react well ahead of these curves Gene Munster, thank you, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time again. Gene Munster is managing partner, co-founder of Loop Ventures, on the phone from Minneapolis. As we mentioned, uh, he's still positive long-term on Apple, making his case there, reiterating what we heard from him roughly about a week ago. As for shares of Apple, 9.4% lower. And while many of the street are saying they're not interested, uh, Gene is talking about that this is potentially a buying opportunity. All right, so there's some big news out of Washington, some big news on the M&A front as well. Bristol-Myers Squibb agreeing to acquire Celgene. It's a record-sized $74 billion deal that will unite two drug makers battling for advantage in a very crowded market for innovative cancer treatments. Let's break it down, perhaps speculate on who may be next to do a deal. On the phone in New York City, Brian Scorney, biotech and pharma analyst over at Baird. Let's point out Bristol-Myers shares down about 15%. No surprise as the acquirer. Celgene as the target, rallying big time up to 22 percent in today's session brian this deal smart deal um i don't think it's a fantastic deal for for bristol i think it's a i think it is a fantastic deal for celgene i mean it's certainly been a stock that's been in free fall without any sort of um soft landing on the horizon um so so for them to you know get a, get bristol to step in here um, give a very substantial cash position uh, uh a very favorable um Share exchange, um, you know, I think I think it's a great deal for for Celgene investors. Certainly, recent Celgene investors, uh, you know, could argue over uh, the long term. Um, you know, it's not it's not where Celgene wanted to be two years ago. Yeah, Celgene's um, but, down three years in a row. It was down about thirty eight percent last year. It's really been beaten up, certainly on the share price side of things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, investors have really lost a lot of confidence in management. And the big problem here, and I think this is a problem that now Bristol is going to inherit, um, is what is the durability of the Revlimid franchise, which is, you know, currently makes up about two-thirds of Celgene's revenue, a uh, higher percentage of its profitability. I mean, this is really the uh, the crowning piece of, uh, of Celgene's um, company. Um, Bristol's now taking that up, but the problem is um, there are patents that are at dispute. Um, the company is, is subject to a number of uh, litigations with potential generic drug makers, um, and you know we will see one of these, at least one of these, go to trial uh, probably towards the end of this year with an outcome uh, early next year. Uh, and you know it's, I think I think people who have been invested in Celgene see that as the primary risk, and uh, you know without any sort of meaningful offset coming in the near term, uh, that's really why the the shares. In freefall. This is this is now an issue that that Bristol is gonna gonna have to struggle with, and, and hopefully they they can navigate the waters and, and be able to kind of support the durability of Revlimid um, longer than than the market was expecting. And so, Brian, where does it go from here? It feels like one of the big existential debates uh, in your world has been mega mergers or no. What are we going to see in nineteen? Does this open the floodgates? 
Yeah, I mean, so I, you know, I, I, I thought to some extent it, it, it reminded me a little bit about twenty uh, of two thousand nine. We, we saw a lot of mega mergers, and I think there's no question, um, you know, we could use consolidation certainly in in the larger cap space. Um, I don't see a need for you know fifteen twenty different sales forces out there. Uh, so so you know, I think you get some synergies in terms of um, your your leverage into uh, payers, your leverage into PBMs, um, and and just in terms of cost controls by by combining some of these companies. So I wouldn't be surprised. It, it, if we see more, I don't know that this is leading to a similar um, mega merger frenzy. Um, you know, who's next? I think I think that's a very very interesting question. I mean, one of the speculations out there today, um, and one of the reasons why there's such a huge discount between where Celgene's price is trading right now and right. what the uh, what the uh, Bristol acquisition price is. Right. Um, you know, there's at least twelve dollars uh, there right now, depending Got on it. where you value Bristol shares in the CVR. Yep. Is, is Bristol using the Brian? Brian, we got to run on. Unfortunately, forgive us. Brian Scorney, biotech and pharma analyst over at Baird, on the phone in New York. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. So, Jason, as you well know, this week in the magazine, there's a story about how the NRA, the National Rifle Association, is really pushing its pro-gun agenda abroad. We want to get into this story. Neil Weinberg is senior projects and investigations reporter at Bloomberg News. He's in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. And we do want to mention that Michael Bloomberg, the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent of Bloomberg Radio, is a donor to groups that support gun control, including Every Town for Gun Safety. So, Neil, good to have you here. Here with Jason and myself. Tell me about, tell us what's going on at the NRA. Well, the NRA is obviously facing a lot of pressures at home. Uh, For one thing, with uh, the Democrats not controlling the White House or Senate, uh, some of their their contributions are down. Generally, uh, people contribute more at times when they fear there's going to be greater gun control. But uh, in recent years as well, uh, the National Rifle Association has seen the growth of both imports of guns into the United States and the export of more American-made guns abroad. And as this has happened, arguably, as we argue in our story, uh, you have seen the foreign influences in the NRA increase. And that foreign influence, Neil, comes in the form of some pretty well-known gun manufacturers, maybe some that people didn't even know uh, were foreign-owned, the likes of Beretta and others. Absolutely. And you, uh, the NRA doesn't disclose a lot of detail on this, but uh, anecdotally, we were able to pull together some very significant contributions, some in the million-dollar-plus range, which is you know serious money to anybody. And you also see companies like Taurus, which is a Brazilian company, mm-hmm. which sells uh, three-quarters of a million guns a year in the United States, uh, offers a annual membership to anyone who buys one of its guns. So obviously, these $35 uh, memberships can add up over time. Well, and what's interesting, too, is you get into the influences of various outside countries, and you talk about the Russian influence, and this is important to point out. Right. Well, the NRA opens its membership uh, to people around the world. Virtually anyone can become an NRA member. Has that always been the case? Uh, It's been the case for quite some time. You don't have to be an American, although the NRA does say that it's one constituency. The people who it represents are individuals in the United States, not gun companies, not non-Americans, but U.S. citizens. But the CEO of a gun company can be a member. Correct. And the CEO of a foreign gun company can certainly be a member and have been given a lot of accolades 
by the NRA for their large contributions. In the case of Russia, uh, obviously this has been a huge embarrassment to the NRA because you have a woman named Maria Butina who admitted working as a foreign agent and is in custody in Virginia right now uh, and was very much involved uh, in NRA activities. Uh, She hosted a number of senior NRA executives in Moscow in 2015 when the 2016 election here was gearing up. And there are a lot of questions being asked on Capitol Hill and questions being asked by law enforcement about what role, if any, the NRA played in potentially uh, funneling money into the U.S. campaign. Right. Being a conduit, right, for for Russian money. And that still is an open question. Still an open question. So, Neil, I wanted to ask you, too, because we were uh, working earlier. We talked to you earlier in the week for our uh, weekend show and also had some time uh, earlier with Taylor Riggs, who was one of our chart experts, and and she plays into the weekend show as well. And she was talking about, you know, gun stocks and gun sales and the sort of inverse relationship relationship it often has with the political world. Help us understand that and sort of how gun sales ebb and flow depending on what's happening out in the world. Well, people buy guns on fear for the most part. And what you saw was before the 2016 election, when I think there was a broad expectation that Hillary Clinton was going to win and that gun control was going to increase, Uh, What you saw was a large increase in sales of guns, and you also saw gun manufacturers ramped up their production and ramped up their inventories. And then when, to the surprise of many, President Trump won the election, suddenly the risk of gun control obviously dissipated overnight, literally. And what you saw was that gun sales declined. Uh, You have seen membership dues to the NRA decline, and it took the industry a couple years to burn off all of the inventory that it had uh, stocked up on, uh, no pun intended, because it expected a huge jump in sales under President Hillary Clinton. Right. And, and it, of course, we know how it all played out. I, all I'm going to say is this is well, I was a just fascinating gonna, story. Yeah. And, and I just and wanted to knew? mention that like it did, uh, the, uh, the stocks did come up marginally after the, the midterm, midterm election. election. So interesting yeah, you, little note there. You do see this correlation. Neil Weinberg, it's a great story, and thank you for coming into the studio to talk about it. Senior Projects and Investigations Reporter at Bloomberg News in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. You can check it out. It's in the uh, new issue of Bloomberg Business Week magazine on newsstands. Now you can also read it at uh, the Bloomberg and at Bloomberg.com. And we do also just want to remind everybody, Michael Bloomberg, the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent of Bloomberg Radio, is a donor to groups that support gun safety, including every town for gun safety. Little JT there? Yeah, little JT for our man Vinny Catalano, Chief Investment Officer of Redmount Capital Partners, also the co-founder and member of Adriatic Capital Partners, back with us in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers studio. Vinny, happy new year. Happy new year. Great Less to happy <laughs> for the markets today. Yep. Huge sell-off. Uh, and it's something, you know, we were talking with our producer, Paul Brennan, earlier. It's something that we feel like we're having to get used to at this point. Mm-hmm. Is this where we are? Or is the market just, as we say, just working through some things? What's going on out there? Well, I, I think the market is struggling with a lot of 
uh, information. <laughs> this is pretty loud. Oh, here we can lower this. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry well, about that. No, no, that's okay. I felt like I was <laughs> in the better? Grand Canyon. Is that better? Uh, <laughs> that is better. Thank you. Yeah. No, the, the, the market, this is long overdue. Let's start with that, okay? Market was grossly overvalued. Now it's only moderately overvalued, uh, but it still is overvalued. And right now what you have is you have a, a, a major market correction uh, in anticipation of what? Well, it could be a recession, but if it isn't a recession, then the market correction that we're going through is pretty close to average right now. Yeah. And even though it looks so we're down 16% from the high on the S&P 500 from September 20th. Right. And that is historically uh, the average of the last five market corrections without a recession. It's equal. I think it was 16.4% of well, so random numbers on that. Is that what you think we get, a market correction, or we already have a market correction, without a recession? We don't have it without a recession. Is That's that correct. what we ultimately yeah, get? I, 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 if I had to put forth my best guess on what this market is doing, it's that the market is corrected down uh, a, a, from an overvalued over, uh, uh, condition. It's now at a level that it's more normal. Uh Without a recession coming. Now, what will the market likely do from this point going forward over the next you know, number of months? Likely to stagnate around this level. It should. It should stagnate roughly around this 2,400, mm-hmm. 2,500 level for the S&P. Trade around this level for a while and then see, are we going to have a recession? Because professional investors are not concerned about politics. They're concern- concerned about the impacts to the valuation model, which is earnings and interest rates. And until you see that... Okay, professional investors, and they are the market. They are not likely to, you know, pitch right. more stocks overboard. So tomorrow morning, we're going to hear from Jay Powell. He's down in Atlanta for the American Economic Association mm-hmm. meeting, speaking alongside former Fed Chair Ben Bernanke. He knows a thing or two about some of the things we're talking about. Jay Powell finds himself in, I think the technical term is a pickle here. <laughs> Very much. What does he do? Um, what he has to do is continue to raise rates. As long as the economy can sustain that and not, and not have a negative impact, the stock market notwithstanding, okay, as long as the economy can continue to grow to a degree and even at a more moderate rate, no matter how much ranting and raving you get from politicians, uh, he should continue to raise rates because, as we talked about a while back when mm-hmm. we had Jason Furman on the program, right. and in fact, Marty Feldstein uh, not the like mind like Jason Furman, but came to the same conclusion in a recent uh, commentary that he wrote. You need roughly about 500 basis points, 5% for the Fed and the Fed funds rate to offset a recession. So, wow, pickle, yeah, big time pickle if we had an economic downturn going into next year. It would really be a problem. Where do you go, from two and a half to zero? And then from zero to minus So in other words, right half? now the Fed doesn't really have enough room if we not see a recession. Room. That's correct. What do they need to be at? Five. They need. Oh, I'm sorry. They need to be at five percent. That's a big move. That that is a big move. Uh, Jason wrote about it. Marty Feldman wrote about it. Uh, it. It's something that you really don't hear a lot talked about. Okay, you had a lot of talk about you know yeah. Fed's independence. Absolutely correct. Yeah, Fed should be independent. Uh, but they're they're in a bit of a bind. And and then what was announced just a, a few minutes ago about the you know money flows into the ten year Treasury two point five six. I mean that's like an ominous number. Not good. Not why? Because it tells you what? 
It, it, well, one of the things that it tells you is that that it leaves less of a cushion. It inverts the yield curve yeah. even further. It causes problems. In you know, that it's, in, it's interesting. Our Vince Signorella, let me see if I can find my message from him earlier, but he was talking specifically uh, about, another about inversion, right? yield inversion. He said uh, the two-year has joined the threes and the fives trading below the effective Fed funds rate for the first time in 10 years. Uh, as he says, something fun to know, but something right. per- perhaps ominous. That's correct. And, and, and I would agree that it is, it is an ominous sign. You don't want to see the outcome going in, in, in that really super negative direction. Absolutely not. So. so as an investor, what do you do? I, I got to think you've got clients and friends right. and sure. other market watchers calling you. and it, Coming, off, knuckles, the, coming right. off the holidays, <laughs> the family's saying, hey, yeah, exactly. what, are, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Uh, sit on your knuckles. If you don't own gold, you should have owned gold anyway even though it hasn't been a particularly great performer. Yeah. But it has of late been done, done really, really well. Be a long-term strategic investor. Look at thematic issues like cybersecurity, uh, like medical marijuana, a, a lot of opportunities that are out there on, on a longer-term What about basis. something like big tech, like Apple? Um, big tech like Microsoft better. Hmm. Why? You know, just uh, earning stability a bit more. I, I would not throw Apple overboard. I mean, you know, look, it's a 2% yield now. Right. Uh, you know, uh, and so, yeah, it, uh, what is it, 130 or $160 billion in cash? Exactly. Right. And that's what everybody, you know, this is what really uh, jumped out at me this morning in terms of some of the analysis. I heard it on surveillance radio, uh, at, you know, saying, yeah, they've got, let's see, how much cash? 237 cash in a, a, equivalents? 237 billion, I think this is okay. what it is, sure. as of the end of September. Okay, and more, right? what's interesting is they can do buybacks, that's which right. will shore up their earnings per share prices, which will obviously give some momentum to the share price no doubt uh, about it abso- that's just math that's yeah. not math that's not fundamentals no. that's not saying here's how i feel about apple that's just math a- absolutely and investors need to keep that in mind because you are investing in the stock market you're not investing in the economy yeah right you're, you're investing yeah. in companies with uh, uh you know with that capability of being able to uh uh, to impact their share prices uh, because they have enormous amounts of cash and, and high profitability. We've been rightly, and Carol's been pointing people a lot toward earnings reports that are coming in just a couple weeks, a matter of days mm-hmm. now, really, we'll start to see more and more earnings come out. As you look ahead to that, right. are there sectors, and I'm thinking of you know what we heard from Delta today that has really spooked people about mm-hmm. that uh, sector. Are there sectors or names that are in your mind or on your calendar where you say, all right, I want to listen closely sure to what these guys say? Uh, two things. One would be anything that looks like it's a uh, economically sensitive sector, uh, industrials, for mm-hmm. example. That would be one. Uh, consumer discretionary would be another one. Uh, and then the second is obviously guidance. Yeah. You want to know what are they going to say? What does it look like into the third and fourth quarter of this year? Because there's a lot of predictions for 2020, mm-hmm. the end of 2019 and 2020, to be a negative year. I'm driving in my car, I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. It is time for the drive to the close on this Thursday. David Dietz is founder, president, and chief investment strategist at Point View Wealth Management. Roughly $300 million in assets under management. 
based in Summit, New Jersey, uh, on the phone uh, in from New Jersey, excuse me, uh, right on this uh, Thursday. Hey, listen, we're looking at the markets. We've seen a fair amount of selling on the equity side of things. Uh, David, we're down about 2.6% on the Dow, 2.3% on the S&P, and the NASDAQ lower by 2.8%. Real estate utilities, uh, the only outperformers in the S&P 500. Um, how do you uh, explain away today's trade? Is it really all about Apple, especially when I see almost everything uh, down in the S&P 500? Well, it's not all about Apple. It's not even all about China. Um, that was the curveball that we heard from Apple today, where they blame most of their problems uh, on China. But obviously, other companies involved with China are not down as much. Um, and of course, there are, you know, when you're saying your revenues are down 9% and China's only 20% of your business, it's got to be a lot more than just China. Um, certainly on top of the Apple story, and of course, that cannot be minimized. It's one of the largest, most prominent companies on the planet. We're seeing uh, signs of weakness starting here in the United States with a report on manufacturing uh, down to a two-year low. And of course, uh, this adds to uh, Apple's news, adds to the concerns over the second largest economy in the world, China. Um, and uh, so investors are uh, fastening their seatbelts here. And you want to also talk about this big pharma deal or big uh, healthcare deal that we saw today. Bristol Myers Squibb uh, buying Celgene, offering to buy Celgene. $74 billion deal. A lot of people didn't see that one coming. Uh, David, what do you make of it? Is this, again, sort of company specific? Is this industry specific? And what does it tell us about the M&A market more broadly? Yeah, so um, first of all, uh, this deal, um, I think, sends a clear message on the part of seasoned executives uh, at Bristol-Myers that you do not think that Medicare for all is anywhere uh, near on the horizon, that so-called uh, price controls on various medical compounds are not something to be concerned of near term. Uh, this is a huge premium, which I guess says something about how uh, desperate Bristol-Myers was to add Celgene, um, may also say something about how uh, deeply undervalued a number of these biopharmaceutical companies like Celgene are, I would add Gilead, into uh, the mix. I guess the cautionary tale here is that Bristol-Myers stock is down sharply. It's now down 14%. Yeah, amazing. The, comp- the deal, although has been approved by the board of both companies, has not yet been approved by the uh, Bristol-Myers shareholders. And so there seems to me to be some doubt, perhaps, as to whether this is necessarily uh, a, a done deal. But, uh, you know, uh, amidst all the uh, the clamor and the concern and hand-wringing over the global economy and volatility in December in the fourth quarter of the stock market, it, I think it sends a nice signal of confidence uh, to, uh, to market participants out there that uh, Bristol-Myers would reach into their pocket for close to $74 billion here. David, what does it tell you, though, about where we are in the market cycle? Don't we tend to see kind of big mega deals at the end of a bull market cycle? Well, I think that's right. Certainly, um, you know, when you're down in the bottom, people are afraid to get out from underneath their board table and or they think that their stock is too cheap to use as a currency or they're worried about cash just to pay the, you know, kind of the, so to speak, their own bills. And uh, so, you know, it, it may be uh, Bristol-Myers and others still feeling fairly flush. Certainly health care was the best performing sector in the stock market last year um, with a nice double-digit gain 
gain, one of the few sectors that did show gains by the end of the year. Bristol-Myers itself hadn't done too well. I think it also shows, you know, concerns on the part of both companies that these drug pipelines are showing uh, a, a, a little um, uh, scarcity of, of, of new products. Certainly, Celgene has to look for a replacement to Revlimid, uh, which I think is comes off patent in, in the early 2020s. Uh, Bristol-Myers also wanted to add to its its uh, selection of drugs. Unfortunately, from the Bristol-Myers point of view, I'm not sure I'm seeing too much in the way of synergies between the, the two companies. I can certainly see while Celgene wants to take the, the premium, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a tougher call for the Bristol-Myers Bristol shareholders to approve it. Uh, Dave, I wanted to ask you, too, about Tesla. That stock is down for the third day in a row, announcing a price cut for the Model 3. Deliveries, I should say, uh, falling short a bit. Momentary blip. What do you make of this stock? Because I feel like people have strong views one way or the other on Tesla. We are not bullish on Tesla, and, and I'll give you three reasons. First of all, in my mind, it's an auto company. It's not a tech company. And mm. why do I say that, even though they have some great technology that goes into their car to, to, to make them work on electricity? Um, is because it's highly capital intensive. This is not like a software company where you get recurring revenues. It's rather, it's marketing a product which is basically a discretionary item to well for deep-pocketed buyers. Um, and as a result, it's cyclical. As a result, if the global economy really slows down, this is easily something that would-be buyers can put off, and that makes it tough. And of course, the auto industry is known for its competition. Everyone on the world is trying to develop a so-called EV electrical vehicle, and you, you cannot dismiss the competition from the Germans and the Japanese in Detroit. Um, second, of course, is the ultimate key man risk company. And the problem is nothing that happened in 2018 can give us uh, any greater confidence right. in uh, kind of the maturing of, of Elon Musk. And finally, recent results, of course, now that they've hit certain targets, they're no long, buyers are no longer able to get tax credits. As a result, uh, Tesla had to reduce prices they right. think, in order to sustain demand. That's going to cut into margins. Right. And we should point out that Tesla shares, um, of course, the overall market is lower today, but Tesla shares uh, down about 3% after losing about 6.8% in uh, yesterday's uh, session on concerns over the outlook in terms of pricing and sales. Uh, David Dietz, founder, president, and chief investment strategist at Point View Wealth Management. $300 million in assets under management on the phone from Summit, New Jersey. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.